the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. It's a beautiful fall day, and fall came yesterday. So uh, let's start off with uh, you know, kind of the lighter side of life from Groucho Marx. The secret life, the secret of life, is honesty and fair dealing. And if you can fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> I never forgot a face, but in your case, I'll gladly make an exception. Politics is the art of looking for trouble, finding it everywhere, diagnosing it incorrectly, and applying the wrong remedies. <laughs> and I won't belong to any club that would have me as a member. There we go. Uh, anyway, I, you know, I, I saw something uh, the other day, and I, uh, and I probably shouldn't talk about it on the radio, so I won't. I, you know, I saw something on a, on a web page where I buy spices. I couldn't believe it. Uh, you're a Republican, you'd be mad. Anyway, uh, the I guess the key here is that uh, it's a new it's a new month in a, another week. We've got one more week of September, and it can't come too soon. <laughs> but you know, I, I think we've lost four uh, percent last week. It was a tough, tough week. But uh, you know, first the misery index has fallen sharply since last summer, meaning that the number of people in misery are less, all right? Uh, and it helps explains the surprisingly strong move in the S&P 500 earlier this year. I think, second, deleveraging was one of the key themes that jumped out at me from the RBC Industrials Conference last week. And third, uh, other things that jumped out from our high-frequency uh, indicators last week include the recent improvement in bottom-up 2023 S&P 500 earnings, uh, I should say forecast, and the return of U.S. equity flows inward, <laughs> driven by passive funds. So people are just throwing money at the S&P 500. By the way, the S&P 500 doesn't look so hot. You know, I mean, I was looking at, uh, I listened to Rob Schleimer this week and kind of got a head and shoulders top. Uh, uh, you know, so we'll see what happens, but. Uh, just remember, uh, there's the old saying on Wall Street is, you sell on Rosh Hashanah and you buy on Yom Kippur, okay? So last week, uh, one economic chart that really caught you know, my eye, and also uh, Lori Calvacina talked about this, and, and, they, and she hasn't looked at it in a long time, was the misery index. It's the sum of unemployment and inflation. And the thing that jumped out to us most that it spiked the levels close to past recessions in the summer of 2022, 
And obviously, as inflation is moderated and labor markets have stayed resilient, uh, you know, the indicator has fallen sharply since last summer. Uh, so I, I think it helps explain why the S&P 500 has been so strong in 2023. And even a recession, uh, even though a recession didn't occur in 2022, uh, some say, uh, well, in some ways, recessionary conditions were in place, okay? So we continue to view 2023 pricing in the S&P 500 as the classic recovery trade, all right? So we're keeping a close eye on this indicator going forward, and, and we'll watch it further. The other thing is, you know, we, we had our industrials conference last week, and uh, if you'd like the, the notes from that, uh, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, I, I couldn't listen to it all, unfortunately, but... I kept a close eye on the commentary coming out of analyst teams, and and the company-specific recaps from day one and two uh, were very interesting. And from what I read and some of the discussions I heard when I was you know listening, uh, jumped out is that most macro uh, perspective was the emphasis on deleveraging. Uh, this seems to occur alongside a healthy amount of discussion of buybacks and M&A activity, or merger and acquisition activity, if you're not familiar with that term. So the commentary on deleveraging isn't too surprising given the buy side's focused on on the impact of higher interest rates, okay, for longer. And that uh, seems to be the theme that the Fed, I mean, after the Fed spoke on, on uh, uh, Wednesday, or Thursday, I guess it was, uh, they just dropped the market completely. Uh, the bids just went away. So uh, I guess the other macro-oriented takeaway uh, that we saw overall was the demand feels to be strong and solid, with some acknowledgments of some uncertainty and impact uh, created by rates. And pricing seems less fo in focus than last year, and discussions on this on this topic seem to be more nuanced and complex. So the labor back backdrop was described as having improved, and management teams seemed confident in their ability to handle the disruptions, which was good. Um, now, what the what if you look at the high frequency stuff, the 2023 earnings uh, earnings per share forecasts are moving up, and bottom up, you know you look at it, and it moved up a bit in August. And, and this is unusual in years where, you know, the e, uh, earnings per share forecast started out too high. Uh, normally, consensus, uh, you know, forecasts are stable after mid-year and don't move up this late. All right. So we're starting to see some inflows into U.S. equity funds again. Uh, bond funds have been steady, but we're, 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 we've still started to see inflows into uh U.S. equity funds. This has occurred as flows to EM, China, and Japan have weakened, even though Japan broke out. Both large cap and small cap funds have improved within those improvements, and passive funds has been the most noteworthy. So, uh, you know, people aren't betting. They're just hoping to, you know, they think it's a good time to buy. Now, I'm going to mention something, and, you know, look, we talked about AI back in beginning of Ju uh, July, and it went up straight up for a while. <laughs> I mean, I had a couple trades that were unbelievable, for traders, that is, you know. Uh, now they've come down hard, and I'm going to recommend something again. Now, the one stock I really like, uh, 
I bought a little bit and it just pulled back a couple bucks, two dollars to be exact, um, just to make me look bad, you know. Uh, but this data center liquid cooling market overview is important because the next gen AI chips and servers require advanced cooling systems and, and much different from the, the, the traditional HVAC. They, they can't handle it because these, these chips, you know, that you've, you've heard about, uh, they're going to, you know, change the world and they may run at high, high temperatures. So they need liquid cooling techniques. And these, these are, uh, you know, we see like 25% growth as a single digit percentage of rack de uh, deployments, uh, advanced cooling techniques. Okay. So many high density racks are cooled by containment technique techniques or local eyes approaches to, you know, to such a rear door technology heat, or I'll call it rear, rear door heat exchangers is what they call it. And many startups are chasing this high growth opportunity, but there's one company that we really like that has a, a great deal to it, but you have to call in for the, <laughs> for the, uh, the information. Uh, I'm not going to say it out on the air. And there's a lot of HVAC players that are trying to get into the space. And I, you know, I think they'll get there, but I think they're going to be a little bit late. Uh, not too late though. So there's one name that is a local company that I really like uh, that things could get interesting. And, we also talk about AI, and uh, you know they have very strong financial performance. The cloud's probably going to be dominated by this. There's a lot of artificial intelligence investments going on with companies right now. There's a GPU shortage, okay? And uh, these are needed. These are graphic processors, and, and they're needed for AI. So those people who are going to participate in AI have to buy these things, and there's not enough of them going along. A lot of data center uh, expansion going on out there, and you know there's REITs out there that that uh, are data centers basically. Uh, also, capex growth is it's on the rise. All right, with with companies increasing investments in data centers, AI infrastructure, and cloud computing to support this growth and expansion. And I think there's going to be a lot of two things. I think there's going to be a lot of strategic partnerships going on out there in the cloud and in the AI space. And I also think uh, there's a lot of names that are gonna be beneficiaries. And I, I, I know what they are, you know, it's up to you to figure them out. Um, I'm also gonna recommend something, you know, we put out a piece last year called the year-end checklist. And this is a nice piece and it says, okay, here's my income tax strategies and my tax-related strategic investment or investment strategies, I should say. Uh, it's, you know, just, it's a couple pages, uh, you know, but it, it gives you, you know, for those you doing your taxes, this might be a really good, a good idea. Uh, I've also had several people call in, uh, for the healthcare and retirement piece. I sent a lot of those out last week. <laughs> you know, if you don't know what you're doing with your healthcare going into retirement, this piece sums it up really nicely. I, I, I just printed about 20 of them. Uh, and been handing them out to, to people I, I'm having coffee with or breakfast or lunch or whatever it may be. Uh, so uh, it's a good piece. Look, right now, all right, I think it's important. And I, I was listening to our, uh, you know, we have an, uh, an up, well, let's put it this way. We, you know, we had our uh, equity leaders conference and there's a great summary of those names. 
which I can't send out, by the way, but I'd be glad to talk to you about them. Um, but the other area I think right now you have to be looking at is you have to look at a disciplined, high-quality approach to the market. All right? Right now is the time to buy. You know, we just got – you know, we, we gave up most of the game from from August, okay? So, you know, if – you know, sell on Rosh Hashanah and buy on Yom Kippur is correct, then – you know, you want to be looking for high quality names, okay? And I, I think it's it's very important right now to be paying attention to that that type of thing. Um, I've got a, a whole list of names that I think are important out there. Uh, you know, we don't mention names on this show simply because uh, compliance doesn't let us. But uh, I think it's important that you you be looking at high quality. And look, if if you look at the way great money managers buy things. People like Marshfield. Marshfield buy things. They take a small position. If it goes down a little bit lower, they take another position. And, and what they're doing is there's usually a rounded bottom or a sideways bottom, and they're trying to you know, pick it up as it comes to them. They're not aggressively going after it. It might be a good idea for right now. Okay. Now, <laughs> look, the Fed's recent projection suggests rates have neared – We'll call it cruising altitude, and, and you know they're talking about you know higher for longer. Now, you may recall back in 2022, we talked about Rob Schleimer's call about the 40. You know, we had a 40-year downtrend in the 10-year yield, and it broke through that. And we said they we weren't going back to those low rates for a while. Was that a great call by Robert Schleimer? You know, Rob is our uh, uh, head technician, uh, and he's a good one, very good. He took over for Bob Dickey, who was probably one of the best, and he's done an admirable job. So the Feds, you know, is looking at – they kind of remain on a flight path towards – you know, they're trying to have a soft landing. (laughs) You know, that type of flight path probably – or will not be without some turbulence, folks. All right, that's it. You know, and if you want to try to explain the Fed's actions, what it may mean for investors, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, but the Fed Reserve walks into the latest policy meeting, markets prepare for a dovish pivot. The Fed walks out, has a bit of a laugh, and quickly proceeds to remind everyone exactly who is in charge. You don't play cards with the Fed. They know your hand, all right? So this has been the cadence of things uh, through much of the rate hike cycle. And despite choosing to skip a rate hike or two, uh, two of the last three uh, meetings, I should say, including this last week, policymakers are tiptoeing to an eventual end, all right? The Fed still found a way to tighten and hawkish the screws. Uh, on the market. And, you know, I mean, the 10 year Treasury yield broke out, okay, to a new high. All right. So, so while the aftermath uh, of this week's meeting has seen equities come under pressure, the SP 500 down approximately 2% from the pre meeting levels, while Treasury yields across the curve have reached fresh decade plus highs. When yields go up, 
The stock market doesn't like that very much, okay? The nuts and bolts of the meeting were actually broadly in line with what the market was looking for. So it's the way they said it, all right? So what they're trying to do is make sure you know, hey, we ain't cutting soon. And, and by the way, they've been saying that for a year and a half now, all right? So it shouldn't be a secret to anybody. So look, if you look at the economic projections uh, that the Fed economic, you know, what, what the projections they gave the market, what it wanted and were notably upgraded, you know, the economic activity based on GDP growth was based was boasted, sorry, by 40 basis points to 4% compared to 3.6%. Is that bad? No, it's good. Okay. The unemployment rate is now seeing, you know, ending 2024 at about 4.1%, down from 4.4% uh, that we project right at the moment. Uh, so I, I guess this is a story about what happens when rates stop being polite and start getting real. I mean, look, we've been in la-la land for a long time with rates at a quarter percent. And I hope you know, one of the reasons we're staying so strong and the real estate market's in such turmoil is people aren't going to sell their houses with a 2.75 interest rate for their house and go out and buy a new house at 8.5%. It's just not going to happen, not on a regular basis anyway. So there's going to be less supply. So the housing market's going to stay strong, we hope. And you would be forgiven if you had assumed the Fed policymakers also paired expectations for a stronger economy and a lower unemployment rate with a higher inflation, uh, inflation forecast. But alas, they did not. All right. So it's likely at the heart of the market, uh, you know, is modestly negative reaction to the Fed's last meeting. We got, we got whacked. It's down two and a half percent. All right. So, look, there are two classes of forecasters out there: those who don't know, and those who don't know that they don't know. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. This is Smart Investor Hour. Up. Well. Crabfest is over at the Lobster Pots, but don't fret, because Clamfest has just begun. All through September and October, the Lobster Pot is offering their annual clam bake, which includes a dozen clams, a half-baked chicken, a cup of their famous clam chowder, clam broth, red-skinned potatoes, and coleslaw. Forget this, only $40. And if you want to add on to your bake, choose a filet mignon, a ribeye steak, a live lobster, a six-ounce lobster tail, extra clams, or a half pound of snow crab. And it's all available for takeout. And don't forget about the Lobster Pot's beautiful enclosed outdoor patio for all of those beautiful summer and fall evenings. That's Clam Fest all through September and October at the Lobster Pot. Call now for reservations at 440-569-1634. That's 440-569-1634. Or go to their website, thelobsterpot.com. At RBC Wealth Management, we are proud of our reputation for putting clients' interests first. Our steadfast commitment to helping clients achieve their financial goals includes giving back to the communities we serve. Through supporting youth education, human services, and the arts, we hope to make tomorrow better for everyone. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC.
Hey, uh, just so everybody knows, we're back, obviously, but uh, our show is being bumped next week. Uh, football has come. It's football season. <laughs> so September 30th, we will not be on the air. All right? So just remember that. Uh, also, I just had Martin email me. Uh, so he must have gone to my webpage and emailed me. Uh, and he said, Tim, what what's available to us? Uh I mentioned the data center report, our industrial group. Uh, I, I only have day one. That's all I'm sending out. Um, also, our you know, dividend growth and prime income lists, they're underperforming, folks. There's no better time to buy high quality is when they're down, okay? When yields are up and the price is down, they'll switch sometime in the future. Trust me on that one. I'd also suggest a wealth plan and also our um, – you can get on our newsletter, and it comes weekly, and it's good stuff. You know, it's part of the stuff I use on the show. So, uh, But the dividend growth uh, list and the prime income list are really good, uh, so we'll just leave it at that. So like I said, uh, there are two classes of forecasters out there, those who don't know and those who don't know that they don't know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, look, we're – we were talking about this. We had narrow leadership, and usually narrow leadership is not good. And, uh, you know, it, it continues that way. So I don't know exactly what to tell you. I, I think, you know, the, the problem here is that that narrow leadership gives it up. You know, that then we could be a problem. But, you know, we I talked about this digital intelligence survey, and I thought it was pretty interesting because – you know, the mosaic of our now forecasting data suggests that we are seeing signs of bending but not breaking uh, on the consumer side. So our, our real-time data on the service sector spending suggests that consumers are bending. That said, just-in-time travel bookings trade down from luxury to mid-tier levels at this point, and we're seeing price reductions in accommodations, and that's during the peak summer months. And that's also, you know, that indicates that stresses do exist out there, all right? So how close is the consumer from breaking? If a tra travel is a measure of discretionary health, the consumer remains relatively resilient for now, okay? Metrics for international travel remain strong, and gas station visits remain robust, although I just talked to somebody in California on Friday. They're paying six fifty nine a gallon. Ouch, ouch. So uh, Americans are, are shrugging off record high seasonal gas pumps, and we'll see what happens going forward. So I think, you know, the, the personal consumption expenditures have averaged 6.6, .6, which is normal for many a year, okay? Uh, there are some shaky signals, though, we're starting to see. Uh, but you know, credit card delinquencies are higher. Uh, we're, we're seeing, you know, they're now 30 plus days in a lot of cases. Um, the travel metrics, like I said, are strong enough for now. Gas stations, uh, they're pumping the brakes, but they're not, you know, I mean, not. Look, I paid uh, four bucks for premium gas the other day. And going abroad, people are doing it, but they're doing it on a less fantastic basis. Uh, and the personal savings rate has increased pretty drastically. So that's something to keep in the back of your mind because usually when the savings rates are not – when they increase, it is not a sign of consumer strength. Let me say that again. When the savings rate goes up, it is not a sign of consumer strength. So keep that in the back of your mind. 
Another, uh, uh, Martin, another uh, thing I'd probably talk about here is one of the groups getting killed is uh, biotech. Okay. And we have uh, this Imagine series that we talk about, you know, what happens through 2029 or something like that. And we have some innovation, innovative game changers uh, report in, in this RBC Imagine series that we're talking about. And it's just what we think are the big, big names out there. And one of the things that we've seen is, is uh, there's several manufacturing-related disruptions. And that'll probably, you know, it's for very high-profile approvals and launches, uh, you know, weight reduction, that type of thing. Uh, and the long-term impact of the Inflation, in, Inflation Reduction Act, which is basically a drug pricing act, that's what it is. That's when the Democrats gave it a name and, you know, whatever. Uh, and the inelastic nature of pharmaceutical demand and high margins make biopharma less susceptible to inflationary pressures or any recession concerns and interest rates appear to be, uh, you know, stabilizing uh, one thing that I think is positive is the FDA did grant new accelerated approval authority last year to a greater trend of regulatory uh, per permissiveness, and that's that's what we need. You know, the average drug takes it's like five billion dollars to get a drug approved at the FDA, and everybody talks about all the drug pricing concerns. Well, I mean, part of the problem is about sixty-five percent of those drugs fail. Another 30 are uh, stalled, okay? So, uh, but this is a good report just to get, you know, so you understand what's going on in the biotech uh, area. And, you know, one of the things I'll say is that, uh, you know, we, we do have uh, in our biotech leader uh, area, uh, two doctors, you know, Brian Abrams and Greg Renzi are doctors. And the other one is the other analyst that we have is a PhD, so they're not they're not dummies. And you know, I I go back to our equity leaders conference that we had, and man, there were some really good ideas there. All right, um, we had our equity strategists, we had banks, uh, we had two you know two names in the bank area that are kind of interesting. Um, although I think the larger banks are looking better, um, you know. Biotechnology, we had several good ideas. Energy, we had several good ideas. Uh, I, I mean, it, it was a load of them, and I can't send those out, <laughs> but I'm just telling you, there are still a lot of good ideas out there right now, all right? No matter how bad the market looked this week, use weakness to buy great companies, okay? Warren Buffett does it all the time. Uh, guys at Marshfield do it all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's not a secret. That uh, that they continue to progress, you know, uh, forward. But uh, the I think the other thing that uh, I think is important is uh, hold it. <laughs> I lost my spot. <laughs> Give me a second here. Well, we did have our industrial uh, group. We had a um, and we had a lot of people interested in that call. And there's a lot of names in that industrial group that are outstanding. Um, and I think, you know, if you look, we had probably, you know, 30 or 40 top-level names that look really good for the long run. 
And I think it's important, you know, that you, you understand, uh, you know, we went over every one of them. And, uh, and some of them, you know, were aggressive names. And uh, I think it's, you know, fairly important that you understand that this conference was listened to by a whole bunch of people. So, I mean, I bet you there's 50 or 60 names that we came away. But the key takeaways that we, that I, I saw uh, was I think we're starting to see a somewhat more balanced tone on demand. And that that is a key uh, ingredient, I think, going forward. Okay, so you know we're we're in a situation where demand is not too high, it's not too low. So um, it it means that going forward in the industrial area, which has been one of the leaders this year, you got to make your earnings, you got to make your revenue numbers even more uh, important. So I'll just leave that with you, but. Uh, a great report i'm only sending out day one <laughs> and i'll leave it at that uh, so uh, you know i think uh uh that that's something that we uh, probably going forward would have to you know look the one of the things that's happened this year is that the leaders have been short but sweet and that's uh, something to, to take uh take into um or keep keep in the back of your head, I guess I'll say. Um, now, look, couple. I'll, I'll start out with some of our technical data, and we'll go into the next uh, uh, thing. But intermediate term indicators uh, have will likely remain negative for the U.S. equity market into the fourth quarter. We think, okay, and I'm just I'm repeating what Rob Schleimer said. The Dow transports and the industrial averages. Uh, Hit, you know, they they broke down on Friday, uh, Thursday. I'm sorry. And the ten year and the ten year yield and the dollar have you know been strong. All right, those are headwinds for the third quarter. Now remember, the market's done much better with a weak dollar than it has with a strong dollar. Okay, so you know we we have oil rallying, and it's at the next important resistance level. So. Hey, let's take a break and we'll be right back and we'll, we'll do this in detail, okay? Looking for a rugged, reliable truck without break in the bank? Well, look no further than our friends at Ganley Chevy in Aurora. They have inventory and deals that won't last long. And if you're concerned about interest rates, well, Chevy has a great offer for you on 2023 Silverado 1500 trucks. Interest rates at 1.9 for 36 months, 3.9 for 60 months, and 5.9 for 72 months. Buying a new car or truck should be a fun experience. In the dealership, well, it makes all the difference. And that's why we chose Ganley Chevy of Aurora for our truck purchase. We just love our Silverado. And everyone over at Ganley Chevy of Aurora, they're great. I love that they're part of the community. It's not just about selling cars. They really do consider you their friends and neighbors. Ganley Chevrolet in Aurora, 310 West Garfield in Aurora or online. GanleyChevyAurora.com. Find new roads. My first ride-along was with Jamal, even before I was hired. They wanted me to see everything from the ground level before moving forward. And it was awesome. 
The first time I came in, I got to sit in on a meeting and never realized that plumbers have that level of organization and sophistication to their operations. And I say that as a former degreed project manager as well as an Air Force vet. After getting out of the service, my wife and I moved to Cleveland and I just wasn't happy with the corporate style desk jobs. So I prayed for a sign. That next morning, my best friend called me about this radio ad on the fish for a company he thought would be perfect for me. And he was right. Why it works was a godsend. You have to want to help people. But if you do, this job is fulfilling in ways that the right person won't find anywhere else. If you want that for your life, call us direct and consider it done at whyatworks.com. License number 30185. Wallach a doodle. When it comes to managing your retirement, it's easy to get lost. Look to RBC Wealth Management to guide you. Our experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors will build your investment strategy by designing a plan that's tailored to your unique financial needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Visit rbcwealthmanagement.com. probably dominate the headlines over the near term. And uh, I would encourage investors to focus on the intermediate term weekly backdrop of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. Uh, The weekly momentum indicators that we've seen uh, are useful to track, you know, two to month, two to four month swings. And they peaked at overbought levels in the summer, uh, following the really strong first half rebound in 2023, but they remain negative right at the moment. So we continue to view the recent volatility be kind of consistent with the seasonal weakness. And uh, we could become oversold fairly quickly, who knows, but, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the bullish percent says the same thing. So we encourage, uh, you know, that you think, on an intermediate term basis, what I'm saying is you buy high quality companies. You know, this is the time to increase the quality of your portfolio. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, you know, unfortunately, if you look at the NASDAQ composite or the S and P 500, they're, they're pretty far above their uptrend line right at this point. So, I mean, it's not, they're not parabolic or anything like that, but you know, you, you got to know that. So on a short term basis, uh, which tracks two to four week swings, you know, we're still negative on the S and P and the NASDAQ, but we're also uh, a, a lot closer to being to the over, you know, we, we we're at zero on the momentum indicator. So we'd like to see that go negative, but uh, the Dow transports, uh, I think, I think it's important. And, you know, we're in a period, both the transports and the Dow Jones industrials are, we're in an area, you know, uh, where there's there's good deal of support and it's important support. Okay, so following the major trend support, you know, I think you got to really, you know, the rising 200 day or 200 week moving average, which for you know the the uh, transports is around 13 380 
five or something like that, and we're at fourteen fifty uh, five five seven eight right now. And and the Dow, you know, we're sitting at the thirty four hundred level, and and its importance is like thirty one hundred. Okay, uh, thirty one fifty. Uh, Thirty-one thousand five hundred. I'm sorry. So I just think this, you know, you got rising ten-year yield, and the U.S. dollar index remains the two major headwinds for equities. Okay, uh, and you throw in higher interest rates, obviously, and you throw in higher, uh, you know, uh, oil prices, and you've got some big problems out there that, you know. Uh, are challenging for U.S. equities. Okay, let's just put it that way. So, the U.S. dollar is is challenging this next resistance band at 105, 106, and a move above that band would likely see further upside up to 107, and possibly 109, 110. Uh, the 10 year, you know, broke through 4, 440, and is, you know, it's at 460, and I, I think that I mean the next resistance area is 460, that, and then after that it's five. We didn't see 5% in a long, long time. And I go back to, you know, what what we talked about two years ago. We said that interest rates were not coming back after breaking the downtrend line after 40 years. They're not coming back soon. So uh, it's it's been very, very true. So, uh, so I think those are two of the big headwinds. And, you know, I, I think energy, uh, especially oil. Uh, we remain positive on the energy complex, by the way, but continue to expect a near-term pause. I mean, we just we just went from basically 74 up to to 90, um, and and we'll probably see the uh, S&P 500 uh, exp- expiration and production index stall near its April 2022 highs. Remember that was we recommended oil on this show way back in in 2021 when everybody else was buying, you know, the the latest thing. Okay. And it's been a it's been a great re, uh, return. Uh, so we 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 view this pullback coming up as a healthy short term event, and we expect you know uh, WTI to find some support around uh, eighty three eighty four. Um, so you know we'll just keep that in the back of our mind. And I think what's uh, equally important is uh, for now equity markets will probably be in a holding pattern. And while many investors may be frustrated by this lack of direction, uh, we think the, the the recent pause to be kind of a healthy development in an overbought market, because we had that huge surge in the, in the in the first half of the year. All right, so we encourage investors to remain patient because we think, uh, well, let's put it this way: anticipate a stronger technical pattern will develop in the in coming weeks. So stay the course for now. Um, you know, our quadrant balance uh, data, which is a momentum oscillator, was way overbought. We said that back in July, made it lower to high, and now it's, you know, it's getting to, it's not oversold yet, but it's getting there. So keep that in mind. I, I think, you know, if you look at the daily index on the S&P 500, you know, we broke the uptrend line dating back to March, okay? Uh, so we, we stalled right under this resistance at 45.27 in the S&P, and that's the price gap at the early July high. All right, so you know, so we're bouncing from support, and then we got whacked, and we're you know, so we we're doing this up and down game. So we, I, I, I would suspect that you would have a lot of resistance up near the upper resistant band, uh, 
in the market and, uh, you know, you're on our newsletter or you can go to our webpage, go to my webpage, you know, so if you go to WHK1420 and go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show, go over to my webpage, Rob Schleimer publishes the roadmap. It's under bulletin board, okay, on the first page. By the way, if, if you go to that page and you go to Insight, there's all sorts of stuff there. Uh, you know, we just put out two new pieces this week. Highly recommend it. But Roadmap will tell you what Schleimer's thinking. But the NASDAQ relative to the S&P has been kind of flat. So um, we, we see support near the 100-day moving average, and that's at about 13,420. Uh, and then followed by 13,000. So those are some key ingredients. I tell you, the, the, old, the daily momentum uh, remains negative on the Russell 2000. And uh, so it, it, it tested support this week, and I don't think it held. I, I didn't check it before the show, and I apologize, but I don't think it held. Um, the next support is around 1768. So uh, the small caps have really taken it on the cuff this year. Uh, so keep that in mind. And uh, the other thing is, you know, we talked about the Topex, uh, which is the Japanese stock, uh, Tokyo Stock Exchange, and it did rebound. It did break out uh, of uh, consolidation, so it's got a little bit more resistance, and it's nowhere near where it was in uh, 1983 or anything like that. But you know, I, I think the uh, the ultimate high is 2882 or something like that. You break through there, you're good. We're 2435, 36 right now. So, and i keep that. Uh, I think that's in mind. I keep getting questions about China, and um, uh, the daily momentum is beginning to turn south on the, the Hang Seng Chinese Enterprise Index. So uh, there's a lot of resistance at 65.24. I think the key support is uh, in a stop loss level remaining at 62 retracement, which is around 6,009 on that. All right. So for those people who are looking, to get into that area, I think you, you just have to be a little bit more cautious, you know, and, and be a, a just smart about things. Now, if we go back to the American Association of Individual Investors, their bullish versus bearish sentiment, uh, which is a contrary indicator, the sentiment readings have retreated from, you know, moderately advanced levels, and they're not oversold, uh, but the decline is encouraging heading into the fourth quarter earnings. So. Uh, remember the, the the bearish sentiment got down to uh, twenty. Well, it was up at sixty, okay, and it got down to twenty percent just this last month. Uh, well, July, I guess it was, and the bulls were at seventeen at one time. And uh, you know, normally you get worried in the bullish area at around you know fifty nine sixty. Uh, we're now at just thirty four, so we backed off. We were fifty four for a while, so we backed off. So. The bears have spiked up to, oh, 29, 30, and uh, so it's kind of neutral, all right? So that's something to, uh, you know, think about. Now, look, like I said, we've got some problems with interest rates and the dollar. When the dollar goes up, usually the market doesn't do too well. Interest rates going up, you know, interest usually the currency is, is – buoyed by your interest rates, you know? So the interest rates continue to go up. The dollar is probably going to go up too. Uh, I, I wouldn't make a bet on that, by the way. But I think, you know, uh, the breakout 
is important for the market. Okay, so um, you know, by that way, that means also we have another year of bonds. You know, if if you're looking for capital gains, you're not making money. <laughs> you're getting beat up a little bit again. So you know, bonds really got hit last year, um, and you know, most people don't understand it, but in their mutual fund, they probably got beat up. This year's going to be, you know, I mean, if yields keep going up, bonds go down. All right, so we just keep that into in the back of our head. Now, a lot of people um, are talking about China right now, and you know, globalization's big winner. You know, China is now confronted with a new type of global economic paradigm, and it's characterized by heightened you know, geopolitical tensions and fragmenting trade relations, you know, that type of thing. And the U.S. and its closest allies are starting to pursue onshoring and friendshoring of manufacturing to reduce their dependency on China. So investors should, shouldn't overlook China's unique role in the economic order, I don't think. But we, you know, uh, we, <laughs> we imagine China's manufacturing and supply chain competencies continue to advance. So don't forget this, you know, keep, you know, it, it, you always keep your eye on stuff. All right. So keep your eye on foreign markets. They have not participated. The relative strength is in the S&P 500 right at the moment. So, but a Western decoupling from China is unrealistic. Uh, you know, supply chains are highly complex. They're interconnected and China's gaining share globally and they're buying their way into a lot of markets. So, China's demonstrated the ability to overcome the impact of a lot of the technological restrictions that are, are put on them. So the company's got vast manufacturing scale and some well-established supply chains. Uh, so you got to keep this all in the back of your mind because there'll they'll come a time to buy China again. And China's domestic market is far too big to be ignored by multinational corporations. It's that simple. We we think multinationals need to determine how to pursue those opportunities in China while at the same time effectively managing the risks involved. This is R, okay? All right, let's take a break and we'll be right back and talk about the long term for a while, okay? This is Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. America in crisis and lies abounding everywhere. We thought it was a good time to provide the antidote. That's why this radio station partnered with the all-new Salem News Channel. All the hosts you've come to know and trust on this station are right there on TV. Same great lineup, only now you get to watch as well as listen. Download the app on your Apple or Android device. Watch us on Roku or on SalemNewsChannel.com. On the radio, we're right here. On TV, we're right there. SNC is the antidote to the mainstream media. Hey friends, what you doing for lunch today? Brown bagging in the break room? That's okay, but can I make you a better offer? How about joining the herd and heading to Harry Buffalo on Great Northern Boulevard in North Olmsted? Have you seen the menu at Harry Buffalo? Oh my, an incredible assortment of mouth-watering options. Sandwiches, wings, bowls, salads, tacos, pizza, and the burger bonanza. The best burger menu in Northeast Ohio, especially if you make it a bison burger. And if you can't get out for lunch, then stop by for the Harry Buffalo Happy Hour with great food and drink specials every day. And who wants to cook tonight anyway? Stop out for dinner and indulge in an amazing selection of entrees. My favorites, the Lake Erie Perch 
and the chicken parm is to die for. And remember this, if you go to HarryBuffalo.com and join the herd as a subscriber, you'll get a free appetizer along with all the latest buff news and specials sent directly to you for your next visit. So remember, whether it's lunchtime or dinner time or happy hour time, it's always a great time when it's Harry Buffalo time on Great Northern Boulevard in North Olmsted. Wouldn't it be nice to keep income rolling in even long after you retire? At RBC Wealth Management, we can help you invest for the future that you want and create a personalized plan to help you create the steadfast flow of income you'll need throughout your retirement. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Okay, we're back. <laughs> Good guitar work. Is. I think that's Chuck Berry. But, uh, uh, hey, I, I just want to remember, uh, uh, remind everybody that we have this taking care of health care in retirement piece. And we sent a lot of them out last week. And if you don't understand health care, it's a good primer, uh, especially if you're just about to retire. You're going to retire in the next five years. It's something you might want to have a copy of. So we always talk about the long term in this show because you're in it for the long term. All right. So the average person retires and they retire for you know, 25 years. All right. Sometimes they retire as long as they've worked. So it's important to think long term. All right. So the long term secular trend for the U.S. markets remain positive, believe it or not. Uh, you know, we have these structural bull markets and structural bear markets. And we've just, you know, 2017, we ended the structural bear market. So we've been in this bull market. Now, everybody says, you got to be kidding. You know, 2022 was a bull market. you got to remember, 1987 was, a, was in a bull market. 1990 was in a bull market, okay? You know, when Saddam Hussein rolled into town. The Russian ruble crisis in, in 1998, when we dropped 20%, and the Fed had to, you know, step up because the ruble just crashed, all right? So there are bear markets within bull Structural bull markets, so they're scary. Okay, they're quick usually. This one took a little bit longer because the Fed—I don't think the Fed knew what they were doing—and uh, they still don't. Okay, that's the problem here. You know, we we don't have the Fed Reserve is talking about cloudy days, you know, <laughs> and all that stuff uh, in their last statement. And you know, if they don't know, how are we? I do know one thing though: great companies. Will be on sale in the in the next month or so. They've been on sale. That's when you buy them, folks. Okay. So the long term trend remains positive. Now there are four year cycles within these things. Okay. And usually in those four year cycles, there's one bad, you know, scary move down, and then the momentum indicators turn, and boom, we, we take off. Okay. Now the international markets. Uh, you know, I, I think that the longer-term price profiles for international equity markets have improved uh, following some of the cyclical lows that developed in the fourth quarter of 2020. Uh, however, I have yet to see any meaningful evidence of a long-term positive relative performance and reversal to support overweighting international equities yet, okay, uh, versus the S&P 500, at least, you know that I see. 
Now, uh, Rob Slimer has said the same thing, so I'm, I'm in good company. But, look, you know, we had a strong first half of 2023. Most stocks have pulled back in early August. We'll probably see a little bit more of that. And then, you know, it'll go wishy-washy. But just remember, we've got these 14-year, I mean, 16- to 18-year cycles. And there are periods where you get overbought, and then you get oversold, and then you get overbought again. That's the way it works. Now, if if the S&P 500 does what it did before, you know, there's only been two secular bull, mar- uh, secular bull markets since 1929, by the way. And if the current cycle generates a similar rally of, you know, these rally 2,300%, if we just do 2,000%, the S&P could move towards, you know, the 13,500, 14,000 area. And, you know, that would probably occur in 2034. But these cycles occur, and I don't know why, but uh, there's people who study them for forever. But remember, you've got this repetitive four-year cycle, okay? So it's a cycle low has developed roughly every four years. During the secular bull markets, the cycle regularly bottoms at the at the 200-week moving average, okay? And it did it again. <laughs> it undercut it for a short period of time in 2022, but uh, there we go. But the one thing we did see is the S&P 500, you know, if we look at the four-month versus the 13-month, uh, it, it's one of the ways we track, you know, what, whether when the four month is crosses to the upside over the 13 month, we are in a bull market. Okay. When it's below it, we have a problem and it got way. And, you know, well, let me step back. Statistically, when you, when you, the gap gets too large, you're in the six standard deviation. You don't know statistics. I had too many of those courses in college. You usually go back to the first. Okay. And that's what we happened. We were so overbought in 2021, at the end of 2021. And I, I said this, I, you know, clients asked me all, all through 2021, you know, what ideas do you have? And I didn't have very many. <laughs> uh, and they didn't like oil. <laughs> uh, a lot of them didn't like oil. But, you know, then we went to a totally oversold situation and it kind of peaked. It, September 30th to October 12th was when we hit the, the ultimate low. And it was the lowest, uh, the, the four month had been below the 13 month uh, since, I don't know, 1985. All right. And now we're up there again. So I think we have to, you know, give it back a little bit. And, you know, you've got to understand that the, this is part of that four year cycle. Okay. So I, I just think stocks are going to do better than bonds at this point. But what would I be doing? First of all, I can't suggest enough about wealth plans. You know, if you don't know where you're going, you have no clue, all right? The one thing I like about wealth plans, and I I can do these for prospects, and I've done them for prospects. One problem you can't do is what we call playground, where we can say, hey, what if I do this? What if I do this? You know, where will I be? And uh, some people have, you know, they they don't like it. I've had a couple people just recently, I said, hey, you know, you don't have a very good chance of retiring well, all right? But it's there. It's a tool to use. You know, we can make changes, okay? And by the way, both of those people have made changes fairly quickly. So, you know, there we go. But now's a good time to look at the dividend growth and the prime income list. Uh, You know, they have underperformed. Dividends are 45% of the return of the S&P 500 since 1950. 
something tells me they're going to come back. All right. So I highly recommend those. We have our industrial, uh, you know, our industrial conference notes. I'm only sending page, uh, I mean, day one out. We have uh, our data center and our AI stuff. I highly recommend that. You know, if you don't know where the future is, you can't go there. <laughs> that simple. All right. If you'd like to sign up for our weekly newsletter, give me a, you know, give me an email. So go to WHK1420, go to local podcast, down to the Smart Investor Show, you know, check in on what Rob Schleimer is saying under bulletin board. It's called Trend and Cycle. There's also a newsletter there. And then under Insight, we have two new pieces on there. Hit the contact me, email me, and we can send any of these out. In the meantime, it's a beautiful day. I'm going golfing. <laughs> have a great weekend, everybody. Remember to buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.